This is Bonjour Chai, the Come For Your Girlfriend, Stay For The Podcast edition. I'm Avi Feingold, deep in the wilds of New Jersey, and I'm here along with Phoebe Maltzbovi, who is ensconced comfortably in Toronto. We are your Frozen Chosen. On today's show, we are talking about art exhibits. We are talking about billboards, which are basically a public art exhibits. Um, what do they say about us? How problematic are they? We get into all of this and more right after this. <laughs> Phoebe, Phoebe, how's it going? All right, Avi. Uh, it's a little, little bit uh, hazy here. Uh, yeah. yeah, listen, you, you know, our executive <laughs> producer, Michael, hates when we talk about the weather at the beginning um, of the show. <laughs> it is actually newsworthy here. I am uh, somewhere in the swamps of Jersey, and I can tell you that the entire New York, New Jersey area is uh, more than hazy. It's pretty uh, dark. It's 2.30 in the afternoon. looks like it's 7, 8. Um, it's weird. Mm-hmm. It's uh, People are talking about it. They're blaming Canada, of course, as always. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, well, uh, Canada, I should say, has not been spared. Can- Canada, I-, I report to you from Canada itself, being the Canadian Jewish news and all. Look at me being the authentic Canadian one this week. Um, I'm in Toronto where the children are not allowed to play outside, which is very sad for the energetic children. Um and yeah yeah it's the air quality is not not so great what can we do it's uh it's sad hopefully these are the types of things that will spur people to action um i fear that it will not but uh this is life and uh i really wish the environment uh was being better taken care of especially by uh many members of the jewish community many of whom definitely do do so but uh there are definitely there's much work to be done still and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so I have one cultural thought on there. this, though. Oh, please. Yeah. Um, which is the what's been strange, I've noticed, and not strange when you think about it, but strange just to sort of take it all in, is masking is back, but it's outside instead of inside. So inside, people are not wearing masks, but outside, they're in N95s. Yes. And that is a strange little reverse COVID moment we're having here. Yes. I... And I don't know, are people in, are people in the... New York, New Jersey, metropolitan area. I am seeing masks. N95s. I'm seeing people making jokes about how, you know, this last effort to get people to mask up, they burnt down Canada in order to do that. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, oh, I do see more masks uh, outdoors. I uh, The air quality is not great, but thankfully I don't have asthma and people that I know don't have it either. Um, but, you know, you do. You, we live on and we move on. Um, what else has been happening? What's uh, what's been passing through your uh, your mental uh, mind? Your mental mind. Your... My mental mind has been doing fantastically well. Um, so I saw something that I did not know, and I love trivia about famous people, famous British people, pop stars, all of this. I, I'm always a fan of some good trivia. And here's a piece of trivia I saw from a Jewish Chronicle tweet was something about how Robbie Williams is proud to be raising Jewish children. Well, Robbie take Williams. That. Exactly. I cannot say that I have given Robbie Williams a tremendous amount of thought, but if I were to say who are the people in the world who seem the most Gentile, I'm not going to say I would put Robbie Williams on the top of the list, but I would not put him at the bottom of the list. I would have not seen, I would not have, no Judars were pinged where Robbie Williams is concerned, but apparently his wife is Jewish, has 
a Jewish mother and a Muslim father, I think, according to Wikipedia. I have not memorized this all perfectly. But and apparently, yeah, Robbie Williams, Jewish children. Um, good for Robbie Williams. I'm waiting for the time when good somebody, when we hear somebody raising Jewish children and they're not Jewish or anything. Neither parent is Jewish, but they're just, oh, yes, we've decided to raise our child Jewish. Um, I think that that would be a fun little, <laughs> like, now we know that we've finally, like, you know, taken over. Um, I guess if there can be satyrs held by Christians, you know. Yeah, exactly. Jewish We're raising children. our kids Jewish. Yeah. Um, well, everybody, everybody belongs. Would you say that? that I was going to say, I was going to say, going to our first topic. <laughs> no, really. Um, <laughs> that's great. Uh, that if people were going to be raising their kids Jewish without having any like actual Jewish connection, it would be because of like billboards and posters promoting Judaism. Um, maybe the type that Jubilong puts out there in well, the world. Inclusive, hyper-inclusive Judaism. So that is, yes, so, Jubilong as the Jubilong is an organization yeah. uh, started by this woman, Archie Gottesman, who actually is behind the Manhattan mini storage. And as somebody who grew up in Manhattan, um, why don't we start by explaining to us, uh, by you explaining to us what Manhattan mini storage is and why they became famous. Um, so Manhattan mini storage is... I believe, a storage space company, but they had these sort of catchy ads that were like vaguely promoting kind of progressive causes. Um, I don't remember any of them specifically right now because what I have in front of me, unfortunately, is the far more out there billboards well, of They had some Long. that like, you know... Um, Manhattan, She-Hatton, They-Hatton, We-Hatton... Mm -hmm. As sort of like having fun with pronouns. Um, but like they, on right. the side of the people who embrace different pronouns, not yeah. making fun of the pronouns. They had like, you know, to promote their storage, they had a sign that said safe, secure, protected with minimal charges, just like Prince Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> and why shouldn't they? And why shouldn't they? So, so this is the same person behind these ads, um, which have been, I should say the ads from Jubalong, I became aware of, because everybody I know who's Jewish is tweeting them out um, and tweeting them out, not in a yay, I'm being represented way, but in a what is this? Am I allowed to say BS? You can even um, say the whole thing in front of a rabbi. <laughs> oh, thank you. OK, so they're saying um, what is this bullshit kind of way? Because indeed, so I'm looking at the ads now and I'm looking at them cold for the podcast. So what, the first I see, we don't care which half of you is Jewish. Fine, whatever. That's kind of corny. Um, but then blonde since birth, Jewish since marriage. Oh, how adorable, right? Because like, you know, a, a Jewish person couldn't have blonde hair. Definitely physically impossible. That, um, take it up with Alicia Silverstone. Um, then another one. When you get back in touch with Judaism just to piss off your Gentile mother-in-law, okay, um, to know uh, whatever. Am I supposed to feel seen? I, I don't know by this woman in a, what is she wearing? It's like a, is it feathers? Are they bright red feathers? Anyway, next one. Everyone in Texas thinks you're Jewish anyway. Um, Even the closest you get to synagogue is walking by the one on the way to Soul Cycle. It just keeps Today going. It keeps going. So basically, they had started as this idea to sort of say, are you minimally Jewish? You have some sort of Jewish connection. We want to make ads mm -hmm. to sort of like make you feel proud and to say, yes, of course, Judaism is wonderful. You should feel proud to be a Jew. And, you know, 
that's it, right? Uh, they had, if you go to the holiday ones, right, they would have like, there's only one way to spell Christmas, we win, you know, Passover, when you think well, about they, it, yeah. isn't Passover just one big drinking game anyway? So these were fun, right? And, and well, can, I, like can I say who they're specifically talking to? Because I think this is important. So they have um, an explanation on their website, because I found this mystifying, right? I didn't mm-hmm. know what this is about. And they say who they're for. So they say, and this is on the section on the website, why do you belong? Okay. <laughs> it sounds like they're asking me, why do I belong? Excuse me. Um, anyway, it says, we exist for Jews and for people who aren't Jewish, but are part of a Jewish community. For anyone who has felt like a Jewish outsider, which to be honest, is probably most of us. And especially for disengaged Jews, DJs for short. Um, so basically, as I parse this Talmudically, I take this to be effectively like a reform congregations level of definition of Judaism. Well, like no, even even reformed Jews are. There are reformed Jews that are very observant in their reform practice, that are very aware of their Judaism. She's talking about people that, you know... No, t- no, but I mean in terms of where they're setting boundaries for who would this is relevant to. So it's not about converting non-Jews, but it's about being welcoming to somebody who has a Jewish spouse. Does that make sense? Like, Yeah, so but even more than that, I think it's there also for people that are very, very minimally Jewish, even if they have both Jewish parents or they... Of course, of yeah. course. I just mean that it's not setting any more... It, it's not that it's like conversionist, because I think that what yes, I saw pushback to yeah. was absolutely... There was some... Which was the one that was getting a ton so, of... Before we get to that, of, right, while you look yeah. for that one, I, I want to, like, point out that what has happened, though, in the past couple of years is that Jubilong has made a shift away from these, like, cutesy, bordering on cringy, like, Jewish ads about, like, promoting how wonderful Judaism is to almost exclusively content <laughs> on their billboards that is fighting anti-Semitism. I have something real-time. This is live, live podcasting as much as that ever <laughs> exists, okay? As you're telling me this, an ad pops up. So I'm trying to load this page again with the R ads page, okay, on their website. Mm-hmm. I have a pop-up ad, bright pink, says, bright, bright pink with background with white on top. We're just 75 years since the gas chambers. So no, a billboard calling out Jew hate isn't an overreaction. A giant bright pink pop-up ad saying gas chambers. Like, thank you. This makes me feel wonderful. Um, so I, I am surprised, by the way, that they haven't capitalized on the weather this week and sort of said, want to know what it feels like at Auschwitz, right? Like, well, just yeah, walk exactly. outside. That would be very week. on brand for them. So I do. I actually don't see cringy. this. Ad. I'm not saying that we should have this ad. I want to make it clear, right? Yes. I am not making this. So ad. this thing that that's gone viral, um, I am actually not seeing on their our ads page. So I'm going to have to look up where my friend posted it. Here it is. Okay, I have it. Um, it's not on their website. It's this Judaism. Come for your girlfriend. Stay for the lack of hell. Free wedding booklet. Jubilong.org. Okay. Now let's, can we just sit with this for a second? This um, Judaism. So I have seen a lot of reactions to this, including the sort of double meaning of come for your girlfriend has been remarked upon. I I wasn't going to go there, but I'm glad other people have. Other people. I am not, I, I, I have no idea what that other meaning would be, but apparently there is another meaning. Okay. I I plead ignorance. Um, Anyway, stay for the lack of hell. That has been criticized grammatically 
because it does, it's just an awkward phrase that doesn't make any sense. Then there's a free wedding booklet. Okay. Um, I am confused by this. Like, I am having trouble, apart from giggling like a 12-year-old boy at the double entendre here, I am having a little bit of trouble parsing this. So, Avi, please I, I mean, put the full force of your rabbinical training to telling me so what's happening on this billboard. I don't think the double entendre was intended. Um, I think it was okay. just come for Judaism, oh. <laughs> grow comfier, whatever, and like arrive to Judaism, be part of Judaism. And isn't it wonderful that you get to be part of a religion that doesn't have hell, right? So first of all, as many, many people have pointed out to me, <laughs> oh, um, the double Jews, was Jews love talking about hell. <laughs> Jews, especially religious Jews, you're going to hell if you don't wear your skirt that's four inches past your knees. You're going to hell if you do this. You're going to hell if you do that. They have just as much a lock on these ideas of hell than anybody else. So I'm going to first bracket that, even if at a field logical level what hell is within judaism and how it works and what it's all about is kind of like you know murky because we don't actually have any real data nobody has ever come back from there to talk about it um so so in that sense it's there um but i think it's actually, part what if we're this... in it now and that's what all of this haze is perhaps perhaps um isn't hell other people isn't that uh you know, oh, sir, that's you that's that was sartre's feeling about it i think this fits in with their model of saying we'd like to promote judaism and have jewish pride around whatever's going on um and the fact is that I don't think people are buying it anymore. I think when it was cutesy, it was, you know, at some point, great. It was like, okay, I can make a good joke about Mrs. Maisel on a billboard. Great. Funny. Done. Move on. Um, I think that there's starting to be a backlash against this. And I personally think that... Uh, even though this one doesn't specifically call out anti-Semitism, the fact that Jubilong has had so many billboards has really made this shift that Jewish pride equals right fighting anti-Semitism, I think is um, starting to come back on them. And I don't like it. I don't like that we have moved Jewish pride to mean exclusively fighting anti-Semitism. Um, I liked mm-hmm. it back when even there was something minimal that was just about being Jewish and that that was wonderful. So that's interesting because the pushback I'm seeing is not... So I agree with you that that's an annoying trend that one sees. But the pushback I have been seeing has been very specifically about that billboard, which is not about anti-Semitism at all. Yeah, but I'm saying I wasn't sure if, like, because it's the only new one that people have seen. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think the the weird part is... And, and I, I again, I haven't seen a lot of the pushback, but the thing that I really... Uh, cringed at um, in some way, or I reacted negatively to, was the fact that even though they have never really, we're not not a proselytizing religion, we're not about encouraging people to come to Judaism, um, we get the sense that like, oh, here is a case where um, somebody's basically saying, oh, yes, Judaism is wonderful. You can have a Jewish girlfriend. You can stick around for no hell and, you know, and that that's great and then get married about it, right? It's that birthright, like, thing about, oh, mm-hmm. it's important to get married. It's important to have babies. And, you know, let's convert her so that we can, you know, make sure that the babies are Jewish. And this free wedding thing sort of really underlines this, that this is the thing that we care about. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's it's kind of taking the two prongs, the old school continuity with no content approach, and then this new fight anti-Semitism pro- approach. And yes, when you go to their website, the first thing you see is this banner, fighting anti-Semitism isn't cheap, please donate now. Um... 
I don't feel moved to do that when I see this. Um, but then you see they have their national... Okay, this is actually really funny. I'm sorry, I'm, I shouldn't laugh. But it says, Jubilong's National Anti-Semitism Campaign. <laughs> I'm sorry, but obviously, like, it, it, they're fighting it. It sounds like they're... <laughs> they're promoting it? <laughs> well, I mean, it's like the French, yeah. you know, 19th century anti-Semitic party, you know? Like, it, it, see, they got a little... Somebody needs a little copy editing here. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is kind of funny. I'm sorry, I shouldn't laugh, but it, it I'm is just... pretty funny. And then it's, it shows the billboards. Because what they're, so what it seems to mean if you donate to this is you got a neon pink, you get to be, your money gets to go behind one of these neon pink billboards that could be up in, it looks like, uh, I don't know if it's Times Square or something Times Square-ish. It certainly looks Times Square-like. You could have a giant bright pink thing saying, Oh boy. Okay. This is, Oh yeah, this is really, I feel like this is, I love these real time reactions. Well, I mean, it's amazing. (laughs) Chocolate hummus on an onion bagel. Isn't the hate crime we're currently worried about. Oh, that's just so cute. Okay. I mean, that's too (sighs) cute. I mean, what do they think is actually, I guess what I want to know, and this is like a broader question I have had and asked before in the pages of the CJN, the virtual pages of the CJN is this fighting of anti-Semitism, what does it actually mean? In what meaningful sense has it ever done anything? And But specifically this form of it, what what is being accomplished? What is imagined to be being accomplished here by these billboards? Look, what is the most generous interpretation? Because I do not have a generous I, interpretation. I think that what's happening here, if you ask me, is that uh, Archie Goddessman or whoever Jubilong is and however that works nowadays um, is taking the zeitgeist, which is being led by major Jewish organizations like local federations whose, and we've spoken about this in the past, whose major raison d'etre right now is to fight anti-Semitism because that is the biggest tent Judaism that we can possibly have. Who's not going to get behind fighting anti-Semitism? The weekly emails that I get, the every donation email is about, we need security for our community. We need to fight anti-Semitism. We need to fight anti-Semitism. We need to fight anti-Semitism. And the um, thing that this organization is doing is giving it a fun like gloss over it sort of saying hey we have good marketing skills we're going to take this message that everybody hears and we're going to make it into something fun and interesting and more in your face and i don't Mm -hmm. like it i don't like it when federation does it and i don't like it when jubilong is doing it yeah i mean i think it's a way of having a like you say like a big tent it gets a lot of people interested it potentially gets a lot of people to feel anxious and give money but it just seems like There are sort of substantive things you can do, like there can be a security guard in front of a synagogue or that that's something that's like sort of physically, materially relevant, you know, but this general kind of ideological, if you put up a corny billboard, suddenly what's what I don't even know what this is supposed to be, who it's for. I've seen they have these fact sheets, like 10 things you need to know about fighting anti-Semitism. Again, it's kind of facile and... Uh, you know, what can you expect from somebody that's making cute billboards, right? Manhattan mini storage wasn't something that was like needed, you know, detailed stuff to be sold, right? It's here's a box in a room that we give you space for and, you know, and that's it, right? It's the same thing that they're taking with anti-Semitism when you and I know that fighting anti-Semitism is a lot more complex than that. So look, uh, and I think we're ready to move on, but I think uh, one of the positive things that I'm going to say uh, about Chabad 
and not about Jubilong, is that if Jubilong's whole point is to raise awareness, right, Chabad has pointed out that awareness isn't good enough, right? One of Chabad's greatest successes is, is that they actually get you to do something, right? And doing something Jewish and being, that is what it takes to start having pride in one's Judaism, is to say, what does Judaism do? I may, I may personally, Avi Feingold, disagree with some aspects of what Chabad does and how they do it or whatnot. But the thing that they do is they get people to do something Jewish. And Jubilong is not interested in that. Free booklet notwithstanding, right? Free wedding booklet, right? All they're trying to do is sort of say, hey, um, anti-Semitism exists. It's a bad thing. You should fight it. And uh, that's it. Or, hey, um, we don't care that you don't go to synagogue. Just be proud that you're Jewish. Not good enough. And I'm sorry, um, but I will call that out. And I will say, you know, start learning to teach people to do something with their Judaism and about their Judaism rather than actually just saying Judaism exists. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. All I could add is, uh, yeah, their one, their one suggested act seems to be come for your girlfriend, which... Anyway, moving Not on. a bad so, thing. Uh, it's a mitzvah. I'm just, I'm just saying. Anyway, um, having now uh, dismissed with the art of giant billboards in neon pink about anti-Semitism, how do we feel about giant paintings by Picasso? I mean, are, are you are you giving me a painting? I would worse? like to own a painting by Picasso. I have a few just um, lying around here, and I don't know what to do with them. Um, no, so the real culture story this week is, um, sorry, it's not Canadian. Sorry, it's not Jewish, but I'm here Jewish and in Canada telling you about it. And it's that Hannah Gadsby, um, the comedian Hannah Gadsby, known for the 2018 comedy Netflix special Nanette, which criticized comedy generally, but also arts generally, and specifically the painter Pablo Picasso for being too problematic. Anyway, Hannah Gadsby is now a co-curator on a Brooklyn Museum art show called It's Pablomatic, which is a Picasso retrospective. It is is painful. um, That is not so much about celebrating Picasso's legacy as saying that Picasso was a bad person, who was mean to women, who had girlfriends who were too young, who was just generally not a nice guy. Um, And this art exhibit pairs Picasso, which I have not seen, but I really certainly hope to see it for sort of research purposes um, at some point. The art exhibit has not a ton of Picasso, considering what it is, apparently not a ton of Picasso's better works and juxtaposes them in some capacity with work by women artists, women artists chosen perhaps a little bit haphazardly and somewhat one might say tokenized in this capacity to just kind of like, like it would be too pablomatic, too problematic, whatever, to have, um, a straightforward retrospective on Picasso in this day and age. Now, this review, sorry, this, let me start over. Um, this art exhibit has rather surprisingly given the positive reception that the 2018 comedy special Nanette got. The art exhibit has not gotten rave reviews. In fact, it has been somewhat panned and most notably by Jason Farago, the reviewer in the New York Times, who starts his review by 
talking about this whole concept of problematic and how it took over criticism and is it's this kind of impre- imprecise way of saying that something's offensive but without really spelling out why and basically he says that this is um a, a bad exhibit for this reason um yeah so i found this the reason i bring it up is because i just think i'm seeing a real shift in the culture around that type of arts criticism uh, of saying like oh this artist was a bad person therefore the art is bad ha 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 end of story like that seems like it had its moment and the moments like i think it's possible that the wave has crested given uh how people are reacting to this avi what are Um, your thoughts so i was part of what I was under the impression, part of the stuff that I was reading was that the pr- issue with the exhibit was that it highlighted the fact that Hannah Gadsby is not a curator and that this was not a very well put together, you know, art exhibit in that they're putting Picassos next to just random artists that happen to be women that happen to be already in the collection of the Brooklyn Museum and sort of like, right. oh, here's there. And all of the little word cards, what do you call them? The wall um, the wall texts? It's not just wall text. But anyways, uh, were, was written by, you know, Hannah and she was just like, was like kind of basic and nothing was super interesting about it. And that that was just as much a problem that you have a major museum giving over a curation to somebody who's not a curator simply because they are popular. And that that's just as much a problem that it highlights the fact that we actually do need curators and we do need people that are trained and have professional experience mounting exhibits like this, especially when it comes to I mean, that was part of it. But isn't that, wouldn't you say that that was secondary to the reason? I mean, because it wasn't just like having a guest curator for the heck of it. This was about putting politics and um, sort of the zeitgeist in front of, uh, yeah, being trained in an area, right? Uh, To give the example, um, and I'm not sure if this is mine or if this has like rooted itself into my brain and therefore I've always thought about it like this. I I always like to give the example and the difference between R. Kelly versus Michael Jackson and that you almost never hear R. Kelly anymore, but you still hear a lot of Michael Jackson um, in that it's hard to make the leap between what Michael Jackson was alleged to have done um, and what uh, R. Kelly actually did um, between the living stuff and the art, right? You can hear an R. Kelly song and you know exactly what types of things he's thinking about because that's the kind of things that he was doing. Whereas with Michael Jackson, the problematic stuff, it doesn't really enter into the art itself. He's still just talking about, you know, healing the world and, you know, monsters in mm-hmm. the, you know, in, in the thriller or whatever it would like the zombies in the uh, in in the music video for thriller and all that stuff and that there was some sort of a, a separation between the two um, and what that always highlights to me is judge the art as art and then see how the problematics come into it um, maybe Picasso is part of that or isn't but I think what people are saying here is that if you include problematics right in cultural criticism and art criticism right away without actually seeing is the art any good um, you're really sort of judging something with factors that aren't part and parcel of the art itself and that that's a problem um, to, to for lack of a better way of, of saying it and that we should really be judging art for art's sake and then asking separately but just as importantly how problematic is this artist Right. And as a result, how should we Mm. be relating to the art? But the art should always stand on its own as art. 
right? Um, that's that's always been my approach. I'm not an art um, professional art critic, um, but I feel like that's important. And this is something that gets discussed a lot in the Jewish community, where you have artists um, who are very well, like very beloved, like um, Shlomo Karlbach, who was alleged to have abused um, women um, and is an incredibly integral part of a lot of orthodox and non-orthodox services his songs are still sung and people are saying that they shouldn't because he's a problematic individual and then people are saying yeah but the melodies are still the melodies and they're important for a lot of people and they're meaningful and therefore we shouldn't be able to throw them out mm-hmm. so what, what you're saying is all interesting but i think what i'm trying to get at what i uh, we may be talking past each other a little bit which is that i think Help me this out. notion that that you should I, i'll try that you should even be sussing out the problematicness, that you should even have this concept problematic at all, is starting to become a little passe. So maybe um, well, what if do we there was a time when nothing, you look at the art and you're not trying to figure out if Picasso was a nice person or not. It has nothing to do with the art. You're just, but that's what I just Picasso said. I think that's exactly what I was saying. Judge the art. But you're saying that there's the no less important part of deciding if Picasso was a nice person. I think the idea is that you can be agnostic on that question. You can be ignorant on that question. That can also just, I think I, what I'm saying, I'm not making an ethical argument. I'm saying about where the zeitgeist is. I'm trying to analyze how people are doing criticism now. And I'm saying that I think what you're talking about had been the thing of like this weighing the art versus artist question, pondering this. I'm saying that I think that that's going out of fashion because I think people are a little bit exhausted from years of criticism that is about this art and artist question. And I think people are bored of that and are more interested in the aesthetics, more interested in appreciating beauty where they find it and possibly less interested in, is this person a racist, a sexist, a homophobe, a transphobe, an ableist? So so first of all, I think that, I think that most people are that already, right? Most people don't Mm -hmm. care. People still read Harry Potter and still love Harry Potter, even if they will willfully ignore the fact that there are serious issues around J.K. Rowling, right? People, I still listen to Miles Davis. I still listen to well, Wagner. I, I'm, I'm going to just put a little pin in there that I, I don't know whether there are serious issues around her or whether she's just somebody who there, shoots her mouth off. Sorry, the there are serious questions anyway. that roil around. Yes. That's it. Yes, yes, that's that's more of what I meant. Yes. Um, I don't know any, mm-hmm. you know, although I'm sure people will jump at us and say, how can I'm you sure not say that? Whatever. people have thoughts I am eliding yeah. that. So, what I'm trying to say is that for the most part, people do do that, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that true. I think that it's only been relatively recently where we have started asking this question of do we cancel, quote unquote, the art because of the problematics of the artist? Um, and I don't know. I think that there's, uh, there is something to be said. I think that there are times that we do cancel quote unquote, certain artists. And we do say that certain art, no matter how good it is, doesn't get um, promoted anymore. Um, but despite the fact that um, that it's great art, right? And I think okay, that I think you the, can I have think, that again, choice. We're still talking past, though, because I'm I, saying that... I know. Yeah, I get what yeah. you're saying. And I'm saying that yeah, I think that yeah. that's the individual's okay. choice. I think the people that yeah. care about yeah. the problematics of the artist... They care about that and they will talk about that. And then there's a lot of people that Mm -hmm. still just go and say, I don't care. I'm not interested. Sure. Maybe I'll try to reframe it slightly because I think that what there are two different things or what actual people do. And I think you're right that actual people 
you know, you often will see this where there's the rotten tomatoes, like what the critics say versus the audiences or whatever, and there'll be a big disparity. And basically, it will often be the case that some new movie or whatever will be hailed as like the best, um, like do like it's really a social justice contribution and then audiences hate it or conversely critics say this thing is too problematic and audiences love it. You see this all the time. I don't think that that has, I don't think that that's the thing that's new. What's new is it had been for the last like 20 years almost or 15 years. I don't know, something like that. Criticism had been look like mainstream criticism in the New York Times and Slate in whatever publications had been look at why and Canadian publications at least as much had been really let's look at why this work is problematic let's look at whether this work is contributing to or detracting from social justice that was arts criticism that was the main trend in arts criticism for at least a decade if not two that is shifting, and that's what I find interesting. Does that make sense? So I think I think it's coming more in line with how most people do, in fact, view art. So I think that's mm-hmm. that's what I'm finding interesting here. I think there's a separate question of art versus artist, but what I'm noticing now is that I think that's being asked a bit less by critics. Uh, maybe I, I I don't know. I, still I mean, we'll see. I think yeah. we'll, we'll see. I think it's it's starting to become a personal choice. I think there are people who will say to themselves, I will never watch this person's films. I will never mm-hmm. have anything to do with this person's art or literature or whatnot. And now it's sort of like, well, we're not going to ever go say that this person shouldn't exhibit their work, but we're going to let the public decide. You don't want to go to Nanette. You don't want to go see, sorry, uh, Pablo Matic, right? Don't pay for it and don't go see it. And therefore don't support Picasso or Hannah Gatsby. Very meta because now we have like the idea that you might be for political reasons, not seeing the thing that's telling you what to think politically. Yeah. But again, that's, that's what's happening. And I'm saying, what if Hannah Gatsby is the one who's too problematic? I'm not going to make that decision. I think that most (laughs) people who care about Hannah Gatsby as problematic and saying, you, you know, you can, Go and take your they themness and your woke comedy that's not really comedy, and you can shove it up your whatever. Right? They're okay, not well, interested in Picasso. I want to jump in here and anyways, say that I think please. that there are. I think this is really important because my objections to Hannah Gadsby are not that they use they them pronouns. Because first of all, oh no no no, I'm I was putting my voice in the voice of the the they use different pronouns. Yeah. But the point is. Um, regardless, no, my objection to Hannah Gadsby's work is that their shtick basically is kind of mocking art for or comedy for basically yes this problematicness and what i really didn't like about nanette was that in nanette gatsby really um specifically denounced uh self-deprecating humor as being too problematic now i'm jewish I like comedy. The idea that self-deprecating humor is itself like too problematic to exist just struck me as utterly bonkers. If not, I don't want to say anti-Semitic. I'm not going to put up a giant hot pink billboard about it, but it seems a little ridiculous is what I'm saying. The idea that you, so that was what Nanette was about. Nanette was only like sort of partly about Picasso, but was mainly about comedy being too problematic 
inherently too problematic like because it's marginalized people using self-deprecating humor is so terrible well i don't know i feel like if you're jewish you might think otherwise but that's um, i don't think you think jewish i think that there are many many oh sure i mean it's not it's not people who who not only cope but who actually like thrive because they're able to say things that they would not have otherwise been able to say um as a result of that i think that that is the nature of literature to denounce literature to denounce an entire form of art um because you don't like it um you can you're you're free to say that but you're also free to have to convince a lot of other people that you are right and i don't think that she did a good job of that they sorry I do not think that they did a good job of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, what I would say here, though, I think, and I really do want to, like, um, drill down on this point, is that I think that there's been a kind of pushback from uh, Gadsby and the other curators to the criticism, like, look at all these these male critics hate us or whatever. And what I'm saying is, no, it's there. you can be entirely on board or partially on board or what, or it doesn't even have anything to do with the the progressive politics at stake, you don't have, like, there are, there are other objections, I think, that a lot of people have to that sort of criticism, including a lot of people who are themselves marginalized in one or multiple ways are still looking at this type of criticism, calling it reductive and sort of anti-fun, anti-beauty, whatever you want to call it. But I would run to see it in a, I would, I would love to see it. I would, if I were there, if I were in New York, I would definitely see it because I want to know what it is people are talking about. I don't want to just read about it. I think the Talmud is filled with examples of um, wisdom and Torah from people that are problematic. And they are very careful to say, this is a person that we do not, um, you know, want to associate with and yet their wisdom still stands um and i think that that is an important lesson to learn and i think that that's where i think we can easily um you know leave it at that and to sort of say i do agree with you i think that uh you know the art stands on its own i think that it is where i disagree with you is that it it might be important still to talk about an individual's life and biography um but to split the difference to leave that um decision of whether or not i want to take part and consume this art and really like use it to inform my life um leave that to the individual um who um is either curating an exhibit or walking into a museum and saying, I don't want to go to that, but I do want to go to that. Yes. Is that I think this is where maybe the term problematic itself needs to be chucked because everybody, all of us are problematic. Not everybody is R. Kelly. You know what I mean? Like I think everybody has their own, everybody has their own. Everybody's flawed. And I think that the problem I have at the end of the day with something like the Hannah Gadsby approach is who are who are they to be pointing fingers because all of us all human beings do things that are not nice sometimes and are not perfect so this idea that like you're dividing the world into the problematic people and the unproblematic like if you can't say that certain people are problematic without that implying that there are unproblematic people and i'm saying nobody's unproblematic yes there are ethical questions about the art of people who have actually committed really heinous crimes are there that's a separate question i think than then can you read a novel by a person who once, um, you know, shoplifted a candy bar? Yes, exactly. Exactly. To me, this seems like a different question, but yeah, I think, I think we, uh, I think this is interesting. Yeah. And I think there's more to come because I think we are seeing what's how this all plays out in the culture. 
Are you in the market for a new watch or a special piece of jewelry? Are you looking for the perfect engagement ring to pop the question? Atelier Lou has all this and more. Eric and the team at Atelier Lou can craft a piece for you, or you can select from some of the exclusive designers that they offer. From a simple bangle to a statement necklace, Atelier Lou can make you or your loved ones sparkle. Located in the heart of Westmount in Montreal or online at atelierlou.com, visit Atelier Lou for your next watch or jewelry purchase. And when you do, make sure to use promo code BON18 for 10% off your next purchase. That's atelierlou.com. Phoebe, what's your nachos this week? My nachos is a personal essay called, on, on the website Dirt, it's um, called Bad Waitress Dying on Your Feet, Becca Shoe on being both a writer and a server. It's just this long and really fascinating essay by a woman who, to my knowledge, is neither Canadian nor Jewish, um, but we can still read her anyway, um, who basically talks about what it's been like as a waitress over the years and also a writer and kind of compares the two, talks about how writers talk about servers and it sounds not as exciting like it doesn't sound that exciting as I describe it but it's just so well written and um all the writers I know are sharing it with a lot of enthusiasm and there's a reason for it it's just really um interesting and well executed and lots of interesting details about how it is in a Californian IHOP to work in a Californian IHOP which I um, I don't think I've ever even been in a Californian IHOP, but now I know all about it. So yeah, it was interesting, and I would recommend that. What about you, Avi? What's your nachos? Um, I there was an article that came out uh, last week, which I thought was really fascinating um, about the Belzer Rebbe, who is the, uh, the he's the head of the uh, Hasidic sect of Bel- uh, sect of Belzer Hasidim. Uh, Belzer Rebbe founds organization for those who go off the derech. Off the derech means literally it means off the path, uh, but it basically is a term that people use uh, for people who have left uh, Orthodoxy or have left Hasidic Judaism to go. F- you know, do their own thing. Um, and basically, there's an organization that he has founded called Ahavat Kodmim, and that was created in response to the tragic suicide of a 23-year-old former Belzer Hasid who experienced significant emotional distress. Um, I, I think this is a beautiful thing. You know, this really is in light of some of the stuff we've been talking about on the show recently. And they're basically saying, listen, um, these are people who grew up in our neighborhoods, grew up in our communities, received their education from us, and they have made a different choice about their life. Uh, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be supporting and embracing them unconditionally. This is not about making them religious again. This is not trying to get them to re-embrace their uh, ultra-Orthodox lifestyle. Um, this is just to sort of say, you are still loved, you are still cared, we are still part of our family, and we don't, um, you know, it doesn't matter that you are not still uh, part of the Hasidic clan and in the in the same way of doing stuff um so hopefully that this will actually uh put a dent in uh really the attitudes of individuals um within hasidic communities to sort of say you are you you are a horrible person get out of here once you have left um it will remove some of the stigma um from some of these individuals and the communities will be able to come together incidentally by the way speaking of stigma I i saw one of the most american things possible i would love for you to comment on it because it is related to this removing stigma um i was driving in northern new jersey and i 
pass from one town to another, and I'm entering the town of Nutley, New Jersey, and it says, Welcome mm-hmm. to Nutley, a stigma-free city. Wow. <laughs> and, <laughs> I, and I was just trying to figure out, what does that mean? What were they trying to a- accomplish by saying that they were stigma-free? W- w- does it actually do anything other than pat yourself on the back? Um, or is there actually like work to be done? I don't even know what done? it means. That's... <laughs> That's making those uh, Jew belong billboards seem kind of precise and with, you know, specific messages, yeah. a stigma free city. Hopefully uh, we do. The Belzers are removing stigmas and that that's a good thing. And we will uh, hopefully wish them well and in their success on that. Phoebe, great as always uh, coming from your country, uh, but I will be returning back next week. So we will uh, have a wonderful show that is fully Canadian, hopefully again next week. Great to chat always. Thanks, Avi. This has been fun. Thank you for listening to Bonjour Chai for the week ending June 10th. Shabbat Parashat Beha'alotcha. The show is produced and edited by Zach Kaufman. The executive producer for CJN Podcast is Michael Freeman. Our music is by SoCalled. We are a project of the Jewish Living Lab and are distributed by the CJN Podcast Network. You can listen to all our past episodes on our page at thecjn.ca slash bonjour, and you can subscribe to the podcast and automatically receive all episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We would love it if you told a friend about Bonjour Chai. It is one of the best ways that we do get new listeners. As always, you can email us with comments at bonjour at the cjn.ca.